Turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 6. If you haven't heard me say it yet, I love the Gospel of John. I really love John chapter 6, and I really, really love the verses that we are in this morning, verses 35 through 40. going to back up a little and start reading in verse 22 to get the context. John 6, starting in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boats there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So you remember that this is right after the feeding of the 5,000. So this is the crowd that experienced the feeding of the 5,000, and this is the day after. Uh, during the night, the disciples and Jesus have gone to the uh, other side of the, the Sea of Galilee uh, under the cover of darkness, and that's these people have come back now looking for Jesus where he had fed the 5,000. Verse 23, other small boats came from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. But do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what should we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, <clears throat> and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Let's pray together. 
Our Father, we come now to your inspired word. We acknowledge that we cannot hear and understand love and delight in your word apart from your spirit. I cannot preach your word apart from your spirit, so we ask that your spirit would now come, enable me to preach, enable us to hear, remove the distractions, the many things that take our minds away, and free us to, to hear and to understand the truths that are in these verses. And may these truths that were spoke, spoken so long ago by the Lord Jesus still speak with power to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the title of my message this morning I borrowed from the Apostle Paul. Um, the title is The Unfathom Unfathomable Riches of Christ. It comes from Ephesians 3.8, where Paul says, To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the unfathomable riches of Christ. So that's an amazing verse. So if you're here this morning and you're a believer, if you're a Christian, uh, you are rich. Not like the riches that uh, we heard about in Sunday school, the rich young ruler who had a lot of money, physical, earthly possessions, but truly rich with spiritual blessings. This morning, I want to show you what that is in our passage here in John chapter 6. And there's four things I want to know about our wealth. All right, so get these in your mind. I want to know what is the wealth? What is this riches? What are these riches that we have in Christ? The riches of Christ. So what, are, what is it or what are they? Secondly, I want to know, how is it mine? How is it that I possess these riches as a believer? Thirdly, I want to know, how long will these last? So, um, you know, if you're like me and you're getting older and closer to when you're going to have to retire, you want to know, how long will your riches last? Your, what you have, how long will it last? Well, our spiritual riches, how long are they going to last? And fourthly, and very important, are they safe? How safe are these riches? Are they guaranteed? Are they warranted? Is there, how safe are they? In order to understand the first one, what is our wealth, you need to understand the whole chapter. So if you haven't been with me for my series in John, uh, here's a little review. But you have to grasp the whole chapter to understand what our riches really are. So John chapter 6 has three parts, okay? It has a sign, it has a storm, and it has a sermon, okay? The sign is the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, where he took 
the loaves and the fish from a little boy's lunch and he fed 5,000 plus people. The reason for the rest of the chapter is because that sign, that miracle, the meaning of what Jesus did completely just went over their heads. Not even the disciples got it. The crowd didn't understand the sign. The disciples didn't understand the sign. And so Jesus, first of all, sends the storm for the disciples to show them, to demonstrate to them the truth of the sign. And then in this sermon, this discourse that Jesus has now in the rest of the chapter with the multitude, he's going to tell them the truth that they missed in the feeding of the 5,000. You know, they came seeking Jesus. They came looking for Jesus. And Jesus just looked at them and said, you seek me not because you saw the sign, not because you understand, understood the sign. You seek me because you want some food. Okay? It was now the next day. They were hungry again. They were wanting food. And so they say to Jesus, well, give us this food that you offer. And remember, he says to them in verse 32, they said, you know, show us a sign. You know, the, you fed us one day in the wilderness. Remember Moses for 40 years. We got manna. 40 years. What are you going to do today? It's a new day. Our fathers, in verse 31, they say, ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So Jesus is going to correct what they just said. They are thinking he is Moses. Moses fed us in the wilderness. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Moses has not given you bread from heaven. My father gives you bread from heaven. So the first mistake was, it wasn't Moses, it was God the Father who gave them bread. Secondly, he says to them that it wasn't about the bread. It wasn't about the bread, was it? Because he says, my Father gives you, he's talking about now, talking about himself, he's giving you the true bread from heaven. So this multitude, they were just like the children of Israel in the Old Testament. They totally missed the miracle, what the miracle meant. In the, in the Old Testament, when every day the manna came, every day it wasn't about just food. It was about God. They missed it. All they wanted was food every day. Now the same thing in the days of Jesus. The, feed, the feeding of the 5,000 was a sign, it was to show forth his glory, that he himself is God. And they missed it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, says to them, and this is a key verse, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. So when the manna came every day in the wilderness, it was about God. And when the manna came every day in the wilderness, it was pouring forward 
to Jesus because he was the real manna. He is the one who truly satisfies our soul. He is the treasure. He is the wealth. And the thing that they missed in the feeding of the 5,000 was that Jesus did not come to give bread, physical bread. He came to give himself. He is the true living bread. He's the one who satisfies. Jesus did not come to give bread. He is the bread, the true bread of heaven, the one who satisfies. And no matter who you are here today, whether you know it or not, your soul hungers for Jesus Christ. And whatever other desire you may feel, whatever hunger you think you have, is just an echo of the real hunger for Jesus. And only Jesus will satisfy. There's no possession, no earthly possession. There is no other person. There is no pleasure. Nothing that will satisfy our souls but Jesus and Jesus alone. He is our satisfying treasure. He is the riches. He is the wealth. So if you want to know what Paul's talking about, these unfathomable riches of Christ, it's Jesus Christ himself. It's him. Now, verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you not believe. You do not believe. So Jesus just said in verse 35, he who comes to me will never hunger. In other words, Jesus will satisfy the hunger of your soul. He who believes in me will never thirst. He will quench the thirsting of our soul. He's not saying that you never thirst for Christ again after you come the first time. No, he's saying that every day you will thirst for Christ and every day Christ can satisfy your soul. And he says, he who comes to me and he who believes. He's not saying two different things. Okay, you come and you believe. They're parallel. Coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and saving faith is offered to everyone, even to this crowd of unbelievers. But Jesus says to them, you've seen me, but you don't believe. Okay, you know, get the reality of what's happened. They have just experienced the feeding of thousand. They were there. They touched it. They felt it. They tasted it. They saw exactly what happened. They've heard Jesus Christ himself teach, and yet they don't believe. And we're no better, are we? If we were there, we would have been exactly the same because Jesus makes it clear that not only do they not believe, they cannot believe. Did you get that? Not only did they not believe, they cannot believe. You saw this in Sunday School, verse 44, no one, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one can. No one has the dunamis, the power, the ability. 
No one can because we are dead in sin. We cannot believe, we cannot seek. You don't wake up one morning and think, today's, you know, I realize that Jesus, it's a smart thing to trust him. No, you can't. We're dead, just like they are. So then the question is, how is it mine then? How is it possible that Jesus is mine? Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. It's, it's, it's impossible for me to convey to you how important that particular verse is to me. I've shared some with you in my other sermons Jesus is talking here about something that happened in the eternity past when God the Father gave as a gift to God the Son a people. He gave him a remnant of Jews and a remnant of Gentiles who together are the one people of God. They belong to Jesus. God chose them. God gave them to Jesus. We had nothing to do with it. We weren't even born yet. He didn't consult us. He didn't consult anybody but himself, his sovereign will. So I shared before, I think, that um, I grew up in a church and it was a good evangelical Bible preaching church and I never heard anything about that until I got into college and realized that it's not just about that Jesus is mine because I was smart enough to believe in him. No, I belong to Jesus. I was given to Jesus. That's the only reason that the wealth of Jesus Christ, the treasure of Jesus Christ is mine. It's because I was given to Jesus. Look at what it says. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay, it doesn't say all that the Father gives me can come to me, might come to me, should come to me. What does it say? They, everyone will come, will come. Now that's amazing because we just read and we just saw the reality that we can't on our own come. We come, if you look at the verse, because we were given to Jesus. It's not the other way around. Okay, read the verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me. It's not all who come to me are then given to me. Okay, so because we come, then we become the gift from the Father to Jesus. No, we come because we're given. It's all free grace, mercy, the love of God demonstrated in Jesus Christ to us. We come because we're given. So if you ask me how that happens, I will tell you to come back for the rest of the chapter because 
Jesus will talk about that, but you know from the verse we just read in verse 44 that no one come, can come unless the Father draws him. So how is it that we come? It's only because the Father draws us. It's only because the Father draws us. It's his work, it's his doing, not our own. If you want to know how bad off we really are spiritually, how dead we are, how much we love our sin and would never choose Jesus, just look at, down at verse 62. Okay, Jesus, still talking to the crowd, but he's talking to a certain segment of the crowd that are called disciples. They're not the 12 disciples. These are a group of people who are following Jesus around who consider themselves followers or disciples of Jesus. They weren't true believers, and Jesus makes that clear. He says in verse 65, for this reason I've said to you that no one comes to me unless the Father has granted it to the Father, because from the Father, because in verse 64 he said, Jesus knew those who did not believe, he says, but there are those of you among you who do not believe, verse 64. So he's talking to unbelievers, but he makes this incredible statement. He says in verse 62, what then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? All right, just think about that. All right, now these people have seen a lot, right? They've seen Jesus take a little boy's lunch and feed 10 to 15,000 people. Well, what about, and they still didn't believe, well, what if they could actually see Jesus ascend to where he was before? Where was he? He was at the Father's right hand on the throne, sovereignly ruling. What if they saw that happen? See Jesus on the throne? Still would not believe. Look at what the next verse says. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Doesn't matter what they would see. Doesn't matter what they would reason. Doesn't matter what they would feel. That nothing matters. From a human perspective, there's nothing they could do. It's all of God. So how is it that we come? come the drawing power of the Father, the life-giving power of the Spirit who gives us faith and repentance that we can come. So verse 37, all that the Father gives me comes to me. That's how we get Jesus. That's how we get the treasure of Jesus. Now, this word come is a very interesting word. I think the first time my first sermon, I think this is the sixth sermon in this chapter. I think one of the first ones, I read the whole chapter and I asked you to, to count how many times come appears and I forgot to tell you the answer. So if you were here a few months ago when I did that, the answer is 16. 16 times in this chapter, Jesus uses the word come, or John, sometimes. But those 16 times represent three different Greek words. They're not all the same. So uh, one of the uses of come um, comes from the Greek word that is for to uh, descend. Okay, to descend. So 
It'll talk about, for example, in verse 38, I have come down. Okay, there's a come, all right? That word is to descend. Jesus saying that I've come down, I have descended from heaven, all right? That's used a number of times in the passage. And then another, the common word that's usually used for to come is um, used many times, but for example, in verses tw verse 24, the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples. They themselves got in the boat and came to Capernaum. Okay, that's the word, uh, just a common word for come. You have to get the, the emphasis, the, the power of that word, what it means from the context. Okay, in that case, they were just coming from one geographical point to another. That's not the kind of coming that Jesus is talking about in verse 37 when he says, all that the Father gives me, come to me. It's actually a word that means to arrive, to come and arrive at a destination. Okay, it's a very powerful word. So it's not talking about just people who have a, an interest in Jesus and they come to see what's happening. It's talking about people who do what Jesus talks about of coming and believing. They actually come and they arrive at the destination. They come to Jesus and are welcomed by him. They arrive. That's how we get Jesus, by God the Father giving us to Jesus. We belong to him. And then in time, God the Father draws us and the Spirit gives us life. So, how long will this last? Okay, we have Jesus. We can say, I am his and he is mine. How long is it going to last? How long does this wealth last? Look at the verse, verse 37. All that the Father gives me comes to me, and the one who comes to me, what? I will never cast out. How long is it going to last? Forever. For I have come down from heaven to, the, to do not the will of my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose how many? Zero. Okay. How long? Will our relationship with Jesus Christ last? How long will he satisfy our souls? It's never going to end. That first uh, word in verse 37, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. Okay, uh, that never is an extremely strong double negative in Greek, ume, you may know that. It's never, ever, it could never, ever happen. Jesus will never, ever find anything out about you that would cause him to cast you out. Never. It could never happen. He's never going to find something out about your past that's going to cause him to cast you out. He's never, you're never going to do anything the rest of your life that's going to cause him to cast you out. Why? 
for he's come down from heaven not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. The will of God is for Jesus never to cast anybody out, and he always does the will of his Father. He'll never cast us out. Not only that, but he says in verse 39, of all that he has given me, I lose nothing. That is, there's no power that can ever take you away from Jesus. Nothing. Nobody. So, you know, this time in between, you know, we're converted and we know we're gonna be in heaven someday. This in between time, that's the hard part, right? You know, we, we face all kinds of temptations. We're in a spiritual battle. The world tries to squeeze us into its mold. We still deal with our sin nature. None of that, none of that can ever take us out of the Lord Jesus' hands. You will not lose one. Jesus said, and he'll say in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we are kept by Jesus, all right? We'll never be cast out. Nothing about us ever will cause him to cast us out. We'll never be lost. There's no power outside of us that can take us out of his hand. We're kept by Jesus. That's how long it's going to last. It's going to last all our earthly life. But if I'm honest, I feel I'm getting old. And when I look around, some of you are getting old. And when I really am honest, there are some people, loved ones, who I know who are in the grave. So does it really last forever? Look at what he says in verse 39. Now this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I'll lose nothing but what? Raise it up on the last day. And he's going to say it again. Look at verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. So I know, unless the Lord Jesus comes back soon, that I'll be buried and eaten by worms, whatever. Doesn't matter. When Jesus comes back, He's going to not just save all of us, but he's going to save all of all of us, if you know what I mean. There's not, he's not going to leave anything out. He's not going to leave our body out. Every molecule, every cell, he's going to raise. doesn't matter if we've been in the grave for thousands of years. He knows where we're at, and he can put us back together. So he will raise us, our bodies up, to be like his glorious body, because our home is in heaven. We will go home with him, at home, without end. 
but I'm getting ahead of myself. We're raised to what? Well, we read it in that last verse there. Eternal life, raised to eternal life, home with Jesus, eternity. So not even when time ends will our treasure, our relationship with Jesus Christ end. He will satisfy our souls for every, whatever you call it in eternity. There's no time, right? But throughout all eternity, every second, every moment, every day, whatever it is, Jesus is our treasure who will satisfy our souls. Jesus said, and says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So with him at home without end. So all of these things that I told you this morning, that we come to Jesus, that we are kept by Jesus, that we will be resurrected by Jesus, that we'll have eternal life with Jesus, those are all not proposals. They are not predictions. They are not possibilities. They are unconditionally and infallibly bestowed on his people. How can I say that? That's a quite a big statement, right? Let me read it again, all right? All those things that we went over this morning, that we will come to Jesus, we'll be kept by Jesus, we'll be resurrected by Jesus, we'll have eternal life with Jesus. Those are not possibilities, predictions, or proposals. They are unconditionally, infallibly bestowed on his people. So... What I want to give you now as we close is I want to give you two just giant foundation stones that this is all resting on. How do we know it's all true? Okay, there's a foundation that's unshakable and sure. It has two massive rocks to it, two massive parts. The first is because it's God's will. If you write in your Bible, I do, you should circle or underline or something these three appearances, three occasions where Jesus says the will of God because that's what this is all about. It's what this passage is all about. It's the will of God. What happened in eternity past when God the Father gave a people to God the Son, and everything that flows from that is all the will of God. Verse 38, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me in verse 39. In verse 40, and this is the will of my Father. Three times he repeats it, the will of God. You can't go back any further. So this, I'm on my last question, by the way. How sure, how secure is our treasure, our prize? It's completely, completely sure because of the foundation of the will of God. You can't go back any further than the will of God. I mean, 
There's nothing that's behind. He's it. There's nothing deeper than the will of God. That is the bottom foundational principle. It's his will, his unfallible, unshakable will. He says, I will. He says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient time, things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand, I will accomplish all of my purpose. Why? Why is Jesus mine? Why do I have this treasure? It's the will of God. Second foundation stone is that it's the work of God. Verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He came to do something. He came to do a work. And we'll see it when we get into the next section because he's the bread of life who's come down from heaven and he's going to give his life. He's going to die for us, for his chosen people. If you go back, you'll see that this idea of working is the context of the, a larger context here. In chapter 5, you remember he had a confrontation with the uh, religious leaders after he had healed the guy at the, at, uh, the Pool of Bethsaida. In verse 17, Jesus makes this amazing statement because they accused him of working on the Sabbath. He said, my father is working into now and I am working. Our salvation, the fact that Jesus is ours, that we have this incredible riches, is product of the work of God, the triune God. God the Father who chose us and gave us to his Son, the Son who came and died to provide so that our sins could be taken away, so that we could be his, and the Holy Spirit who gives us life. It's all a work of God. So is our salvation sure? Is my relationship with Jesus? Is my riches, the treasure of Jesus, is it real? Is it going to last forever? How sure is it? It's absolutely sure because it's God's will and it's God's work. Doesn't depend on your will. Doesn't depend on your work. It's all God, his will, his work. So, I'm going to close by trying to make this a little bit more personal for you. Um, I'm going to apply it to myself, and if you're a believer here, you apply it to yourself, all right? Because you know how you came to know the Lord Jesus. So, as I mentioned before, I grew up in a, a Bible teaching church, but um, when I was about 12, I went to a Bible study. And my testimony reminds me of something that Russ, I've heard him say often, is that, that regeneration, our conversion, is a divine surprise. Because 
I was at this Bible study and I didn't want to be. <laughs> I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be with the kids I was with. I didn't want to be, with, be there hearing the teacher that was teaching. I didn't want to hear what he had to say. But I had to strike a deal with my mom, go this one time, you know. And then I, I didn't have to go anymore. So I, was, I didn't want to go, but I was there. And I wasn't listening, but at some point, somehow, the words of 2 Corinthians 5.21 got through, you know. He made him who knew no sin on our, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And all of a sudden, I wanted Jesus. I wanted to come to Jesus. I came, I believed. So what was happening? What was happening is that God had given me to Jesus in eternity past. And at that moment, God was drawing me. The Spirit was giving me life. And you might say, well, what about your free will? I didn't have any free will. I was in bondage, a slave to sin, but that's when Jesus set me free. And you'll see in these, this verse that it says, verse 40, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who what? Sees the Son. I mean, till this day, even though I had gone to church all my life, I'd never seen the reality, the truth, the wonder, the beauty of who Jesus was. But the Spirit opened my eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. The Spirit opened my ears to hear the truth of the gospel, and I came. It was all God's work. He did it. He chose me. He was doing it then, drawing me to himself. And I can tell you that that was a long time ago. And from then till now, there have been enough bad things that have happened in my life that I would have walked away from Jesus. I've done enough bad things that Jesus could have walked away from me. But the truth of this passage is, not only does he bring us to himself because we're chosen, but he keeps us. And he's kept me, and he will keep me till the end. And when I do die and lie in the grave, I know one day he will raise me up to be with him forever. That's the glorious truth of this passage. Should not we Christians be the most thankful people? There's a, I borrowed this, I changed it a little bit, this, you'll probably recognize this line from a hymn. Oh, to God, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. 
Let's pray. Our Father, we do bow before you with, with gratitude. We give you the praise and the glory for the unfathomable riches of Christ. He is ours. We are his. We praise you. We praise you for the glory of your grace that was extended to us who were so unworthy. May we come afresh every day to Jesus to find our satisfaction in him. May he always be our all-satisfying treasure. Pray that you bless these truths to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.